All right. Uh, let us, before we get into the, the word, let's just open up in prayer again. Um, let's go into prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, God, your people are coming together. God, we come together to worship you. God, we want to edify you, Lord. God, we just thank you for this day, Lord. And God, we're coming to your scriptures, Lord, to get an understanding, God. We want to be changed, Lord. We don't want to be the same way that we've always been, God. So change us by your word, God, by your spirit. Lord, give us understanding, God. Let us see the beauty of who you are, God. Let us see the beauty of your plan of salvation, Lord. Let us marvel at it, God. Give us that understanding, that revelation, Lord, that feeds our soul through all eternity. So God, touch the people. Holy Spirit, go and touch the hearts. Prepare the minds to receive your word. God, you be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God has been really, how do I say it? He's been really just dwelling in me and, and, and showing me and speaking me, speaking to me about the judgment seat of Christ, the day of judgment. And as I look in the, the New Testament scriptures, I often see Jesus, I kind of move around so I hope it doesn't bother people. I often see Jesus giving parables or telling stories. And at the end, there's always what a day of reconciliation. There's always a day when we have to give an account. You think about the parable of the talents. When Christ, uh, the, the master had gave his different servants, different talents, and they would go and some he gave um fivefold and, and he was giving different different talents to go and to invest, if you will. And one day that master would return and they would have to give an account for their stewardship and how they did with the talents that they were given. And so when I look at the scriptures, I often see that, I often see Jesus letting people know that there is going to be a day of judgment where we have to give an account. I even think about the, the unjust steward in Luke where, uh, he, you have a, a steward and, uh, his master gave him, uh, the rights over all his, his property and he, and he goes and he doesn't deal with it rightly. But then his master returns and he has him to, he tells him to give him an account. And when he does that, that, that steward goes and he goes to his different neighbors and he works out different deals and we ultimately see that that neighbor or that steward had to though give an account to the Lord. Even in the things such as money. So we have to give an account of our life to the Lord. We must remember that. That yes, it looks like we have all day, but there is a day coming. It's a day of judgment. We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so we must think on these things. We must think on these things. I know there's a lot going on in our life, but we must think on these things. The most priority. The scripture tells us to seek ye first the kingdom of God, meaning to put his kingdom in priority. So that means that we must put the things of God first in our life. And this is one of the things of God that we must think on. The day of judgment, because that day is coming. So with that said, uh, I really want us to get into the, the coming of Christ. And before we get into the scriptures, let's throw this out there because me and Pastor Brian were talking about this. I know there's different eschatological viewpoints. Some of you may have been raised free millennialist, uh, post, um, amillennial, uh, preterist, hyper preterist. There's all these different 
millennial, or when I say eschatological, I mean end time. That's just a fancy theological word for end time. And so you have different theologians, different Christians with different viewpoints of the last days. And so as we dig into this text, looking at the judgment seat of Christ and the return of Christ, let's put aside those differences and let's just focus on one thing that we know for sure. We know that Christ is returning. I'm sure we can all agree that Christ is returning and that there is a day of judgment. So let's put aside that other stuff of how, when, how long, different things of that nature. Let's just focus on what we know with certainty. And that is that Christ is returning. And that there is a day of judgment coming soon. So with that said, if you can go with me in your scripture to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 11. We'll also look at Matthew 24, not 25, Pastor Roy, but Matthew 24, 36. So first go with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. In my text today, I have the uh, New American Standard Bible, so I don't know which version you guys read out of. All right, some of you may have King James or NIV. I don't know. So it may read a little bit different, but we'll all get to the same place. Second Corinthians 5. We'll look at verse 9, and we're going to go to uh, verse 11, and then we'll look at Matthew 24. And we'll kind of see how these things fit together. Let's put the piece of the puzzle together, if you will. So 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it reads, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There goes our term. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, or your translation may say, knowing the terror of the Lord, We persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Now go with me to Matthew 24. Keep that in mind. We'll go back there, but go to Matthew 24 and look at verse 36. And it reads, are we all here? There's some pages turning. And it reads, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. For the coming of the son of man will be like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the son of man be. So we see that Christ is returning. We see that there is a day of judgment. We see that there's a judgment seat of Christ. According to second Corinthians that we must all stand before 
So there is a judgment coming. So let's, let's look at this verse in 24. We have Jesus here speaking. And he's speaking about his second coming. Some people say the, the second advent. And he likens his second coming to the days of Noah. We've, we've read Noah's Ark, I'm assuming. And so we understand that what Jesus is saying, that in those days, when in, in the days of Noah, people were going about their business, just like we do today, right? They were marrying, he says, and they were given in marriage. I'm sure people were going to birthday parties. They had family events. Some people were pursuing their, their goals. They had business ventures. They were going about life just as they want, like we do today. They have many other priorities other than God. And so they're just going about life as regular as normal. And they didn't know that judgment was right there, was right around the corner. They thought they, they thought they had tomorrow. You know, we say, well, I'll do this tomorrow. They, they, they thought they, they can do this when I get time, when I, when I have my, my life situated and when things are better in order. They, they thought they had time. They had no idea that judgment was right there around the corner. And so all of these people got wiped out and the only people that survived was who? Noah and his family, the people inside of the ark. So it was only the people inside of the ark that missed that judgment. Everybody else felt the judgment. It was the only people that was inside of the ark was Noah's family. These were the ones who escaped. And so we see that this, this ark is a type of Christ. Because that ark had saved them from the judgment. The people that were in the ark were saved from the judgment. Just like me and you as followers of Christ, we are saved because we are what? In Christ. And so we see that this, this ark was a type of Christ. It was their what? Salvation. And that's what salvation really is. It's, and when you look at salvation in its most basic sense, it's to be rescued or to be delivered from danger. David always would say that God is his salvation. During times of war, they would use this term that God is their protection. He is their salvation. So we see that this ark was their salvation as Christ, the true ark. Is our salvation. And that is how we escape the wrath. Because we are what? In Christ. When we follow Christ, we are in Christ. So sticking with this, this Noah comparison, I want to again highlight how Noah was preparing for the day of judgment. He knew that judgment was coming. He knew that God's wrath was coming. And so what did he do? He stuck to the instructions that God gave him. The instruction was to go and to build an ark and God gave him the, the dimensions of the ark. And so he, he built it to T. He stuck to the instructions that God gave him because he knew that judgment was coming. And so this brings us to our, our text in 2 Corinthians 5.11. Let us go back there. 2 Corinthians 5.11. This brings us to our text here because we understood that Noah knew that judgment was coming. He was preparing for judgment. And Paul says in second Corinthians five, we read it, but I'm going to read it again. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. 
knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing what is to come. That is, that is moving me to persuade men. What is the thing that Paul is persuading? We, we see this in, in, in the scriptures in verse 20 that he is persuading men to be reconciled to God. That is the gospel. That is what he goes around every synagogue, every public square, from house to house. He goes around persuading men and women to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ because he knows that the wrath is coming. He knows that judgment day is coming. So he's persuading people, do not go that route. Do not go that way. Judgment day is coming. Be reconciled to God. And 20 says, we are pleading, we are urging you to be reconciled to God. He is so sincere. And so that's what Paul is going to do. He is persuading men to be reconciled to God. Because he knows, he understands that there is a judgment day coming. There is a day of Christ coming. And so he's saying, Go to Christ. Be reconciled to God. You don't have all day. We must be reconciled to God. That is the message. That is the gospel. It's through Jesus. And that is what Paul preached all throughout his ministry. I'm reminded of Paul uh, in Athens at Mars Hill. Paul is he's speaking to a bunch of pagans that worship the various gods. And he tells him that he says that he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man referring to Christ. So he's talking to these pagans that are serving all of these crazy gods, and he's letting them know, guys, there's going to be a day where God is going to judge the world through Christ. So it's time for you to repent. Change from your way, change from what you think of God, or change from your ignorance of Christ and turn to Christ. That is what repentance truly means. It is changing my mind to Christ, to who he is, to his lordship. I'm repenting. And so he's going and telling these people to go ahead and turn, repent. Because judgment day is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And Paul was well aware of this judgment seat. Matter of fact, this is how Paul actually met the Corinthians who he's actually writing this letter to. He he met the Corinthians during the time of the judgment seat because when he was on his missionary journey, when you get time, read it in Acts 18, Paul is on his missionary journey. And he is, he is going from synagogue to synagogue, preaching the gospel, and some of the, the chief rulers of the synagogue get converted. And so all of the crowd, they, they get mad because Paul, or many of the Jews, they get mad because he's converting their chief leaders. And so they, they drag Paul to the judgment seat. And so Paul understands this term judgment seat because he's been at the judgment seat many times in his ministry. He's been before the people, people beating him, people wanting to throw him out of the city. Why? Because he's going and preaching Jesus. So Paul is very familiar with the judgment seat in the earthly sense. And the Corinthians were as well. So many theologians say that maybe this is how he came to this understanding. This is how God gave him that revelation because he was often brought before the judgment seat. And he was actually brought before the judgment seat um, in, in Corinth. So we see that Paul is well aware of this judgment that is coming. So in verse 9 we see in, in 2 Corinthians 5. 
He says that, therefore, we have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Paul understands that judgment day is coming. He understands that he's going to sit at the judgment seat of God. And so he says that it is my aim to be pleasing to God. Because he knows he will stand before his Lord and have to give an account of his life. And so he said, it is my aim that I want to be pleasing to God in every way that I can. And before we move a little further, I want to make sure, make clear that you understand Paul is not here advocating a work-based righteousness. So before we go a little bit further, I want you to, to be clear that he is not advocating a work-based righteousness. And when I say work-based righteousness, I'm talking about trying to earn your salvation or earn your way to heaven by good deeds or, or bad deeds. Because that is often the thought when I, when I speak to people and I, I ask them, okay, do you believe in heaven or hell? Yes, I believe in heaven or hell. I'll say, where do you believe you're going? They'll say, well, um, I believe I'm going to heaven. Why do you believe you're going to heaven? Because I'm a good person. Because I do good deeds, because I take care of my family, because I do this and that. And so many people believe that their salvation is based on their good works, their good deeds. And that is not what Paul is presenting here. He's not presenting that here because Paul has already told us and showed us in Romans 3.20 that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Meaning that nobody will stand right before God. Nobody will stand justified and righteous in God's sight by their works or by their deeds. We cannot be justified by our good works. And so Paul has constantly made that clear in this ministry. So we understand that when he's talking about standing before the judgment seat of God and being recompensed for his good deeds and bad deeds, he's not talking about earning our salvation here. That is not the message. We also know in Ephesians 2 eight that Paul tells us, by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself because it is the gift of God. So we understand Paul's letters and all his previous letters. We know that he is not advocating a works-based righteousness right here. But he is advocating that we must go and give an account to God. And so we have to be prepared for that day. Because when you look in the scriptures and other places, it tells us that do not waste the grace of God in vain. It tells us that right there in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, to, to not to receive the grace of God in vain, meaning don't waste it. God has redeemed you. He has changed you. He has made you a new creation. So we cannot waste this grace that we've been given. We cannot just squander it away. We want to go forward in his power and his might. This picture is also painted in second, uh, in first Peter two nine. I'm sure many of us are familiar with this verse where, where Paul says that we are a, a, a chosen race. He says we are a royal priesthood. He says you are a holy nation, a peculiar people that you might proclaim or publish the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When you, when you look at that verse in first Peter, what Paul is saying is that you've been saved. God has elected you. God has chosen you. God has cleansed you by the Holy Spirit. It's not just for yourself. 
It's not for you just to walk around with a cross on your neck. It's not for you just to carry a big Bible or to have a, a Jesus sticker on your car. That, that is not why I saved you. It's not so you can go around and, and send all of the Christian lingo and saying, yes, I'm this and that. No, that, that's not the reason you're saved. But he's saying in 1 Peter 2, 9, that you are saved so that you may go forward and proclaim his excellencies. And he's saying that that's a privilege that I'm giving you. I'm giving you a privilege. I'm allowing my Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you so that you may go forth to this world and to proclaim my excellencies. That is why if you're looking for purpose in your life, the scripture right here gives it to us. You're saved for the glory of God. You're saved to go forward and to proclaim his excellencies, his mercies. And I I love, I'm I'm not a Greek scholar, but I love the the word that he uses in describing our our privilege in in 1 Peter, where he says to proclaim his excellencies. Some of your translations may say, um, to proclaim his mercies. But the, the Greek word in here that he uses for excellencies or mercy is arete. This, this Greek word is, it's, it's beautiful. It, it means to, to show the, the best of the best. For example, if you were in, in, in Greek time and you were a warrior and you were the best warrior, you would be the arete warrior, basically. And so in this verse, when he, when he says that we must proclaim God's excellencies, arete, he said the goodness of God. You must go forth and proclaim his goodness, his excellencies, the things that he's done. And so we go and proclaim his excellencies by one, what? Showing and sharing the gospel. That is our first and chief way how we go forward and we show the world the excellencies of God. It is by proclaiming and sharing the good news. That is the chief way to show his excellencies. But we also show his excellencies by our righteous lifestyle of living, of letting our light shine. We show God's excellencies to this world. We show his excellencies on our job and how we operate in our occupation. We show his excellencies. See, that is why you have been called. That is why you have been saved and elected. It's not for you just to say, I'm saved and now I just sit and do nothing. No, he has work for you to do. He says, no, I'm giving you the privilege now to go forward and to proclaim my glory, my greatness to this whole world. Because in this verse in First Peter 2, 9, this verse was given to the children of Israel, which was God's chosen people. And at that time, God had chose Israel. He had elected Israel for the purpose of displaying his glory to the world. And now he is saying this to the New Testament believers that you are my people. You are my special possession so that you may go and proclaim and show my excellencies, my greatness to the world. So these are the things that is going to matter when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Are you proclaiming his excellencies? Are you being obedient to the scriptures? How are you, how are you, um, uh, ministering to your family, your wife, or men? Are you being the, the shepherd and leader of your household? Um, are, are you going forward in that way? These are the things that's going to matter. It's not so much that, yes, I was a perfect church attender and I always carried my Bible and I, I wore my Jesus shirt and my Jesus bumper sticker and that's the thing that I'm going to get judged on. No, he, he said, are you showing my excellencies? Are you going forward in my power? Are you letting your light shine? 
These are the things that are going to matter. See, obedience matters. Faithfulness matters. These are the things when we stand before God that will really matter. Not the the things that we create for ourselves and make them a priority. But it's these are the things that will matter when we stand before our Lord. Are we walking in obedience? Are we following the Lord? Are we doing the things that we see in Scripture? Are we carrying out Matthew 28, 19? Go ye therefore and make disciples. Are we doing these things? That's going to matter. That's going to matter. So we must understand we have a responsibility. This is some of the things we must understand that we must do. Because we all have to stand before God, the scripture says, and we all have to give an account. So, how are we? Look at your life. Self-examination, look at your life. How are you? Are you living it to his glory? Are you living it to your glory? Are you doing it your way? Are you trying to please God your way? Because we can't please God the way God sets the standard. He sets how we serve him. We don't determine that. He sets that. So are, are you doing it? See, these are the things that will matter when I stand before my Lord. We got to think about this because judgment day is coming. Now, I kind of want to transition and, and look at judgment or the seat of Christ in light of our relationships. And I, I want to say, um, me and my wife, we are reading a marriage book. Um, it's called You, Me, and Forever. Um, it's by Francis and Lisa Chen. And we just started chapter one or two. We love this book already. I mean, it's, it's a, a great marriage book. We've, we've, we've tried to read some other marriage books, but this one is, is really good. And, and what's good about this book is that maybe in, in a marriage book, you, you would think that they're just going to give you a lot of techniques and how to maybe communicate and do different things like that. And maybe that book will get to that point. But the thing that I'm loving about this book is that the emphasis is not on husband and wife, but it's telling husband and wife to take your eyes off yourselves and to put them on God. And he's saying that that is the best way to get your marriage right. It's to take your eyes off yourself and to put them on God. And he says this one thing in the scripture or in his book. He says husbands and wives basically must be preparing each other for eternity. For the judgment day of Christ. See, because my wife one day, guess what? She will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Guess what? Husbands, your wives will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Wives, your husbands will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Guess what? Mothers, your children will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Your grandmother, your brothers, that person that you've seen at the store, that clerk, that, that bus driver, that, that friend, that coworker, all of these people will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How do we feel about that? Does that, does that bother us? Do, do we mourn because of that? That there are people that don't know the Lord that are going to stand before him and have to face judgment. And that is not a, 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 pre, a, a pleasant sight. How do we feel about that? Your child. Your mother. Your brother. Your, your best friend. Your BFF. How do you feel? that They're going to stand before the Lord. And guess what? You can't stand in their place. You can't take their place. 
They have to stand there on their own. And since we can't take their place, the best thing that we can be doing right now is preparing them for that day. Preparing them for the day of judgment, the day of Christ. That is the best thing that we can be doing. Since we can't stand there for them, the best thing that we can be doing right now is preparing them for that day. The day of Christ. Husbands, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about preparing your wife for the day of Christ? Preparing her for eternity? Mothers, you ever thought about that? Your, ch- your children preparing them for the day of Christ? Eternity? Because as parents, we, what, we, we think about so many other things, right? Preparing our kids for adulthood. We want to do that, right? We want to prepare them for responsibilities. I was, my, my daughter just started school, so I'm preparing her for the, the first day of school and, and telling her how to act and to tell the teacher when this goes wrong. My, my wife, my wife, she, she works with a lot of kids who've been sexually abused. And so she's often preparing my daughter and how to deal with people and telling her what's a, a good touch and a bad touch. We go, we do all of these good things for our kids preparing them, but do we think about preparing them for? The day of Christ? Because they will stand. Or, or do we not make that a priority? We must make this a priority in our lives. The day of Christ, Paul says, knowing the fear and terror of the Lord. The Bible said that there's going to be a judgment. He said, I'm persuading all men. So we must take this serious. The day of Christ is coming. Our Lord is returning. We don't want to be caught flat-footed like the people during Norris Day who were just going about doing their own thing and judgment comes. But we have time right now to prepare. So let's get started on that. How do we prepare? We prepare first by telling our family, our friends, whoever it may be, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. First, we, we want to get them in the boat, right? We got to get them in the boat. So we get them in the boat by telling them about Jesus. And then we want to instruct them in the ways of righteousness. Right? Tell them about Christ. Instruct them in the ways of righteousness. And we want to encourage them to be faithful and obedient to the Lord. These are the ways we can start right now to prepare our wife, our husbands, our, our family members for the day of Christ. Because we're all going to have to stand. And why do we do this? Why do we, why do we want to encourage our, our wives and our, our family members and our friends? Because we want them to receive reward, yes. But we want them to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear God say that about your wife, your husband, your kids? Don't you want God to say, well done? We, we want them to hear the well done. We want them to say, yes, I ran my race. I finished my course. That's, that should be the desires of our heart. Do you want them to hear that? Yes, we do. Yes, we want them to hear well done. Yes, we want them to run their race. Yes, we want them to receive reward. Why? Because we love them. And if we love them, we would prepare them for this day that they're going to face. We love our family members. So we want to prepare them for this day of judgment, standing before Christ. Now I want to look at our the judgment seat in light of discipleship. And by doing that, I, I want to just I want to read you 
a couple of verses from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, uh, Philippi, in Corinth. And I'm just going to read them off. I got them typed up here on my, on my sheet. And it's from the English Standard uh, Version of the Bible. So it may read a little bit different. But look at this thing. I want to see if you can catch this. In 2 Corinthians 1.14, Paul says this. On the day of the Lord, Jesus, you will boast of us. And we will boast of you. Again, on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. And I'm going to read you Philippians 2, 15 to 16. Look what it says. Shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I guess um, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm going through these pretty quick. It says, for our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming, is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. So when we look at these three verses, we see that on the day of the Lord, Paul's boast it's not in himself in all of the, the beatings that he's endured. Or at least that's not what's spoken here. It's not in that. But his boast is in the people that he has discipled, his spiritual children. He said that in the day of the Lord, my boast, my crown of joy, is it not you who I've ministered to, who I've watched grow in the Lord, who, I, who I've seen face adversity and come across and now are shining. Is my boast not in you? And so he, he's letting us know that is where his boast is. His spiritual children, if you will. We see that Timothy was called Paul's son in the faith. Now, I want to give you a, a quote by R.C. Sproul regarding this subject. He says, Christ's coming is presented as a time when the outcome of our works of faith is disclosed. Paul's joy and crown at that day will be his beloved spiritual children, those converted under his ministry. So Paul's joy at that moment, at that day, even though there's many things to be joyous about, his joys and his spiritual children. He said that I'm going to be like, it's kind of like this, like he, he's standing before God. And he's like, Lord, do you see the church in, in Thessalonica? Do, do you see those Philippians over there? Do you see the Corinthians? God, you, I mean, God knows all this. So I'm sure Paul is just still speaking. But do, do you see them? God, do you see how, Lord, I, I gave them your word. God, look how they're persevering. God, look how they're, they are following you. And he says also in that day, they're going to be saying, God, thank you for sending Paul, the minister, to give us the gospel. And he, he gave it to and now we're saved and we know you. We said, on that day, he's boasting in the people he discipled. He, notice he's not boasting in, yes, I went and fed a bunch of hungry people, which is good. It's something that we must do. We must do all of those good things. But the chief thing is Christ. Before we go in and serve and do all these other good activities, our chief thing is Jesus. So we can't forget that because that is the thing we see here that is brought out my, my spiritual children, the people that I discipled. I'm so happy that they're going to be here with me. That is my joy, my crown. Look at that love he has for his brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
that that they're on his mind. It says at the day of the Lord. And see, when we come into the church, we come into spiritual fathers like Pastor Brian. That's your elders, your pastor. These are the people that are, are leading you. The scripture says that, guess what? They watch for your souls because guess what? He's going to have given account for you all. The Bible says he's watching for your soul. So we, we come into to spiritual fathers or it may not be your pastor, but it may be that, that man that, that mentored you and really helped disciple you and who's helped father you in the faith. So we see we, we, we come into fathers. And I think about in, in, in the church that I grew up in, largely in many Baptist churches, they have something called a motherboard. And on this motherboard, all of the elderly women, the most seasoned women sit over here in this area. And they go and they help minister to the young women. See, when we come into church, we receive many spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, people that help disciple us and minister, minister to us. And guess what? When you go out and make disciples, guess what? Now you have somebody that you are now ministering to. That you can be proud of. That you can say, yes, I, I went forth, God, look at, look at her. Look at him over there. Look at Monica. Look at my mom. God, do you see my wife? She loves you and she's walking in you. God, do you see her? Imagine that being your boast. You're just so happy that my wife is here. That my family or friends are here. On the day of Christ, when it comes to discipleship. I like how Paul likens discipleship in this, and, and, and the discipleship relationship in Galatians 4.19. He says this, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. He likens the discipleship relationship to a woman being in labor. That's what he says. He says, My children, I'm in labor again with you. I'm having labor pains until Christ is fully formed in you. And the reason he said that is because these Galatians, he had ministered to them, and now you had these other people coming in there and changing the doctrine and telling them that they needed to obey the law. And he's saying, my children, I'm again in labor with you until Christ is fully formed in you. And that is really how the discipleship relationship looks. When we go forward and we minister and begin to disciple, guess what? Some of those people are going to fall away. Some of those are going to fall back. Some of them are not going to be faithful. And we feel the pains. But guess what? When Christ is fully formed in that person that we have discipled, guess what? We're going to rejoice. We're going to boast. Because God's working in life. And we're saying, God, you allow me to I'll be a part of this person's life. We're going to rejoice just as a mother rejoices after labor when she's holding her baby boy or her, holding her baby girl. She's so excited, even though she had these pains a minute ago. The fact that she now is holding a beautiful baby boy or baby girl, she's excited. And that's the relationship of, of discipleship. We want to disciple we want on that day to say, yes, look, we want to boast and know that the people that I've spoke to are right here with me. My family members right here with me. So the day of the Lord is coming. The day of Christ is coming. We got to get busy. There's work to be done. Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, I am persuading all men because I have to give an account myself. These other men, they have to stand before him their self. So I am going. And another place he said that his heart's desire for his brother in Israel was that they might be saved. It was really his heart's desire. That people would come and be reconciled to God. 
So think about that, husbands and wives. Are you preparing your wife for eternity? Are you preparing them for the day of Christ, the day of judgment? Um, uh, are you preparing your kids? Because that day is coming. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. He said that that day is coming. We want to be prepared. Our boats will be in Christ. But also we want to have our brothers and sisters right there with us. The people that we've ministered to. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the warning. We thank you for the instructions. And we thank you for the salvation which is found in Christ. That we don't have to worry on that day because we are in you. You are our ark. But God, we want to be pleasing to you, Lord. God, it's our hearts is out. We want to be pleasing to you, God. We want to see you smile. We want to hear, well done. So, Father, as we study your scriptures and we go forward in your name, God, strengthen us. Lord, open our minds so we can go forward, God, trusting in your word, looking towards you, Lord. Give us the boldness to go and to speak to those who we may be fearful to, Lord God. God, let us think on eternity, Lord. I know there's so many things that's flying around in our lives, God, but, Lord, that we may focus on you and your glory. God, that we may focus on eternity, the day of judgment. God, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We thank you that we can proclaim your excellencies. Lord, we want to go forward in your name. God, touch. Touch your people today, Lord, as they receive your word. Touch their hearts. Touch their spirits, God. Let this word dwell in their spirit, God. That is not just a message that they heard, Lord Jesus, but implant this word in their heart that they may go forward in the days of temptation that they may recall it. God, we thank you. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.